Hey, y'all, doing something a little bit different as we jump into your feed this morning. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Hoping to make this a regular part of your morning once again. Um, I'm actually going to be sharing some audio that we did from a live reaction show to uh, Wisconsin's abysmal loss uh, to Northwestern over the weekend. Uh, we had a great time on Twitter Spaces, uh, had some listeners call in, give their grievances, uh, answered some questions. I'm hoping to do that segment uh, after the next couple of Badger football games, um, and maybe after some basketball games coming up. Uh, I'll actually be at the game, basketball game this Friday against Robert Morris, covering that for Badger Notes. Uh, so stay tuned to badgernotes.com as always to read some of that great work uh, we have going on on the site. Uh, subscribe to the newsletter too, scanningsixpack.substack.com. Got some good new things cooking up there. Um, but as always, you can just follow at Kedrick Stumbrus on Twitter for all the latest news and updates in Wisconsin sports. Without further ado, here is our Twitter Spaces live reaction and vent session uh, to the Badgers' loss to Northwestern. Luke Fickle opened his postgame presser uh, just a couple of minutes ago by saying, in, in lieu of giving an opening statement, he says, there's not much of a statement. That was embarrassing. I'll take the blame for not having the guys ready. Um, yeah, as a head coach, you take that blame. Um, but, quote unquote, the guys not being ready uh, has been something that has not happened for a large number of games so far this season. This has been an issue dating back to the, the very first week of the season. Um, this team couldn't get it going against Buffalo early. This team needed a handful of turnovers from Georgia Southern in order to beat a, a team that had no business being in a competitive game with the University of Wisconsin. Uh, this team required a, a miraculous comeback, albeit in the first career start for Braden Locke uh, to, to defeat Illinois. And saying that's embarrassing just feels like something the head coach of this program could have said. Nearly any of the last, what is it now, eight weeks of the season, um, nine weeks, whatever the number is, Apart from, I don't know, it's hard to say. <laughs> it's hard to remember the wins at this point. Um, because e even the wins have had slow starts. It's hard to remember a solid win. Uh, but you can certainly say that was embarrassing last week. Uh, I had thought earlier that the rock bottom we were told that this program faced was last season against Illinois. We were told last week Maybe that was the emotional rock bottom because that was a loss to the former head coach of the program that spurned it to go to an SEC team. But the actual rock bottom for the program in terms of a performance was last week against Indiana, a team that is so much less than middling but isn't going to spend football money because it's a basketball school to fire its head coach. Uh, and that's an embarrassing loss. 
Now you lose to this team, which had its head coach assigned to it, whatever it was, five weeks ahead of the season. Um, when does this team bottom out? Because I'm not sure that it has yet. In in an awful Big Ten West that is absolutely the worst in the existence of the Big Ten West division. A loss either of these other two weeks, that's rock bottom. A third consecutive loss to Minnesota, particularly if this team also loses to Nebraska next week, so that this team faces a third consecutive loss to Minnesota, denying the program bowl eligibility for the first time in 22 seasons. That's rock bottom. And that's not out of the question. Um, if anybody else wants to, you know, vent questions, comments, concerns, uh, willing to take them, just, you know, hit the request to speak button. Meanwhile, I, I think it is worth pondering what, happens next week um, because I I don't know exact and I, w- I want to preface this by saying like I'm not trying to gloss over this week by any means like I said saying it was embarrassing is an understatement I suppose um, but I don't know exactly what the program is supposed to take away from this week. However, there are so many weeks, at least two weeks in a row now, where some have said, you burn the tape. You say, that's an awful, awful, awful week. We throw it out. We move forward. People said that in the game against Iowa. People said that in the game against Indiana. People said that after the first half against Buffalo. How much tape is this program going to have left at the end of the season if week after week we are supposed to throw the tape out? At a certain point, you are what you are. And that has to be the expectation. Um, It's an awful expectation week to week. And I don't think it should change our expectations for what this program should be, which is consistently going to bowls. A fringe playoff team in the 12-team structure. You know, not getting there every year, but getting there once every five is probably a respectable goal. But at a certain point, we have to change our expectations for what this team is right now, which is not a good football team. And perhaps, perhaps the worst team in the Big Ten. Um, and it's been a long, long time since... Badger fans have had you consider that this team is perhaps the worst team in the Big Ten. And 
it's not that I necessarily believe that's the case, because I don't think that the absolute worst team in the Big Ten only loses by two touchdowns to Ohio State two weeks ago. That was a team that was able to lock up Marvin Harrison Jr., perhaps the best college football player in the country, for much of the game. Um, was able to look, look, make starting quarterback Kyle McCord for Ohio State look like nothing special. Uh, not that he's looked like a Heisman candidate by any means, but Ohio State has pick of the litter for some quarterbacks. They did, you know, give give up on uh, on on Joe Burrow crying out loud. Who went in through whatever it was? Who went and scored uh, sixty touchdowns at LSU? This is a team that has shown some level of competence, but when it is not showing some level of competence, it has failed so over overwhelmingly spectacularly that it completely overshadows those moments of competence, those moments of progress. Because after, you know, a solid contingent of fans were optimistic following a loss to Ohio State, this team has put up abysmal, abysmal performances in back-to-back weeks. Both against teams that are barely in the top 100 of the FBS. Now, it will have to go to play Nebraska. A team that has looked a lot better than the competition Wisconsin has played the last two weeks, but... Nebraska did just lose to Maryland today, and Maryland has not looked good in the last month, month and a half, um, and that's a team that Nebraska just lost to. So that's, I suppose, a winnable game for Wisconsin, but I, I don't know. Um, the game is hosted by Wisconsin. It's in primetime. I assume Wisconsin will be favored. A couple of interesting comments from uh, Luke Fickle coming out of the presser in the last couple of minutes. Um, Like I said, he opened it up by saying that it was an embarrassing performance, and he puts it on himself for not having the team ready to start the game. Um, he'd also mentioned that Braylon Allen, who only played the first two drives today and not anything after the fact, Fickle said that it didn't really feel like Braylon Allen was able to really let it loose today, which I guess seems to be a bit of a pattern with this coaching staff, is that they, they hold guys back if they don't believe that they're at 100%. I guess that the 
Um, the exception to that is Tanner Mordecai, who, of course, played today, despite breaking his hand uh, one, two, three, four weeks ago. I think that's interesting, but I think the more interesting part is that Fickle says he hopes it doesn't get any lower than this. Well, like I said, I'm not sure how it can. I, I mean, like, I guess I, I don't... There's, a, there's an emotional part of me, which does not believe that it can, but there's a logical part of me that, you know, laid out the picture for how it can. You have two losable games in the next two weeks. Uh, and if you lose both, you finish the season by losing to your border state rival for the third year in a row, denying you bowl eligibility. You know, that that's you can hope that it doesn't get any worse than this, but that's how it happens, particularly when you have a bowl eligibility streak that goes for 21 seasons. And if that is snapped by losing to your border state rival for the third year in a row, which has not happened that's not happened in 35 years. Um, that's how it gets lower. Luke Fickle said he plans to find out this week who wants to be here. I... <laughs> that's scary. That means that there is something broken in this program right now. There's something broken on this roster. There's something broken in the locker room, and he can see it. He can see a lack of effort. He can see that guys have quit. That's the worst thing that you can have for a football team because it says some combination of you either don't have the right guys on the roster or you don't have the right coach who can keep you going, who can keep guys locked locked in despite whatever your expectations for the year may have been. And I can understand guys checking out because you expected to be competing to be in the Big Ten championship game. Um, but that, that chance for you was still available today, regardless, unless they came out, got punched in the mouth by Northwestern and decided to hang it up early. Maybe, maybe... It doesn't make sense to me because I'm not that old. You know, I'm, I'm 27. Um, obviously a lot older than a lot of the young men in a college football locker room, uh, but not that old. But I had always assumed, still assume, that there is some level of motivation behind going to a bowl game, whatever it might be. And I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, the, the college athletes in that locker room are necessarily considering that one bowl game they might go to as a Big Ten tie-in is the quick lane bowl in Detroit, right? Like, So I don't think, like, they're checked out as if, oh, I don't really want to go to a bowl game because if I actually go to a bowl game, it's in Detroit anyway. Like, what's the reward in that? I, I don't think that. But, yeah, Luke Fickle saying he plans to find out this week who wants to be here is uh, very concerning for either – the types of athletes in that locker room or for the prospect that Luke Fickle may not be the, the motivator to, to keep these players going. Um, I, I won't keep, 
have plenty more thoughts on this, plenty more thoughts on the game itself rather than, you know, big picture stuff. But if anybody, you know, has questions, wants to vent, happy to hear those, entertain those. If you want to hit the request to speak button, we'll bring you on. Um, I want to address for a second why I think the bowl eligibility question is important, why I was kind of harping on that as a point for this is something players should be motivated for. Um, and so I, I want to point out why I think it's important outside of those questions, outside of my personal belief that your, your program going to a bowl game is, is good, uh, is like good feelings, happy fives. I think it's important for the patience that it affords Luke Fickle from an like organizational standpoint in terms of the Wisconsin athletic department from a, you know, like a political standpoint, a, a workplace office politics standpoint, because Chris McIntosh made his mark on the athletic department very quickly after he got the job by spurning tradition within the Wisconsin football team, spurning the tradition of hiring Wisconsin guys that has led to the program being so successful over the course of, you know, 25 years and spurning that tradition to mean to, to go to somebody different, somebody who's outside of that, you know, is obviously going to rub some people's feathers the wrong way. It makes it so that although you hired, you, Chris McIntosh, hired the head coach who was the top target on anybody's list of prospects for head coaching jobs in college football. Let's not forget that a year before Luke Fickle was hired at Wisconsin. Luke Fickle had the job at Notre Dame if he wanted it. This was a job. It was very out in the open that this was his job. But Luke Fickle was not willing to leave Cincinnati and accept the job publicly or even behind closed doors necessarily. He was not willing to be courted at least outside of the public headlines, public leaking that was being done by Notre Dame. Luke Fickle himself was not willing to entertain the prospect of being courted by Notre Dame while Cincinnati was preparing to play in the college football playoff. That's the only reason Marcus Freeman is the head coach at Notre Dame today. That's not to say that Marcus Freeman did not deserve the job. That's not to say that Marcus Freeman isn't doing, you know, a good job. I don't, I don't care. That's for Notre Dame, Notre Dame and Notre Dame's fans to decide. It's just very obvious that Marcus Freeman eh, probably wasn't Notre Dame's first choice for that job. Luke Fickle was everyone's first choice for dang near every job. It was obvious that he wasn't going to go down south. He had the opportunity in some capacity, right? The, the year before Wisconsin hired Luke Fickle, these jobs all opened in the same cycle. Notre Dame, USC, LSU, 
and Oklahoma. Four of the biggest brands in college football. Four of the biggest brands in college sports, period. Particularly, you know, Notre Dame, USC. If, if we're talking all college sports. Um, it's not that he was going to go to any one of those jobs. Any one of those jobs that he would have wanted. It's not that he was the number one candidate on all of those lists. But if you are making a power ranking of those jobs, as they opened, Luke Fickle was in the, I don't know, top five at the absolute worst, probably actually top three at the worst for any of those openings, particularly when you consider the fact that USC went out and nabs Lincoln Riley, who wasn't really on anyone's list for this job, was on a lot of people's speculative lists for LSU. He came out, you know, very publicly and said, I will not be the next head coach at LSU. And then ended up taking the USC job. LSU ends up nabbing Brian Kelly. And then we play the musical chairs where, well, former, you know, the, the, the Oklahoma chosen son comes back from Clemson. Brent Venables takes that job. Marcus Freeman gets promoted at Notre Dame. But as those USC LSU jobs opened, it was, people off of lists that we didn't know were on lists to begin with, for the most part. That is to say, going back to the beginning of this, of why making a bowl is important. Luke Fickle could have had any one of those jobs if he really wanted them. Apart from, you know, I understand there's some historical details there, some, some quibbles that I had just mentioned that maybe don't make it that literally every job, but he was on the list for any one of those jobs. He was the most sought-after guy in college football. It was accepted that, well, he's probably going to wait out for in Ohio State when it eventually opens up, in Notre Dame when it eventually opens up. You just had bad timing considering the college football playoff run. And Chris McIntosh went and got that guy. Got the number one guy on anybody's list. Everybody this offseason said that this is the best hire. So it's not to say that Chris McIntosh necessarily made the wrong move knowing what he knew at that time. But what he knew at that time was that he was making a hire to go outside of Wisconsin, something that the last time somebody did it was not a move that was well appreciated in Gary Anderson, who was, you know, kind of run out of town. That makes it a high-risk move from a job perspective for Chris McIntosh. And when this program has established its floor as going 6-6, six and six, as being, at worst, a 500 team, for the last 21 years, if you as Chris McIntosh made what looks like, to some people, a risky hire, Despite, despite it's being the hire that from a national standpoint was very highly regarded, perhaps the most highly regarded hire in all of college football last offseason. That national attention, those national accolades don't matter as much if you can't get the buy-in from the local stakeholders from your university president, from your former athletic director. And it's not to say that any one of those people have said anything 
negative about Luke Fickle so far. But if you make that big swing higher and it doesn't work right away, and it in at least the short term, maybe lowers the expected floor for the program off of that 500 record if you don't make a bowl game, that is going to put Chris McIntosh on a lot more thin ice. Because I don't... This is fast-forwarding a lot. It is really hard for me to imagine how a Luke Fickle and by that same effect, a Chris McIntosh survive with, like with their jobs, not with their lives, survive this football team missing two bowl games in a row, if that were to happen, because the schedule's not easier next year. It's way harder. You play Oregon, you play Alabama. The schedule only gets harder next year. So I am unsure how this this team can miss a bowl and it not eventually end in some level of disaster for Luke Fickle and Chris McIntosh. Along the same lines of, I, I don't think anybody really thinks that Greg Gard can survive missing the NCAA tournament two seasons in a row. Um, I don't think people... I. I I have a really hard time believing that Chris McIntosh and Luke Fickle can survive missing a bowl two seasons in a row. Like, regardless of whether or not you think that's good, um, I just don't think it is. And that's just the political strife of it all. People didn't like Gary Anderson enough, and he was doing just fine, winning nine to ten games. He still ran him out of town because he was an outsider. If you bring in the outsider, regardless of how highly regarded he was, and he seemingly lowers the floor on the program, um, even in the, just the short term, that's going to make that coaching job a lot harder because you have to then operate with a lot, a lot more job pressure. And I, I don't know where Wisconsin gets the money to pay what that buyout would be at the end of next season. You know, obviously, like I said, making a huge assumption here. But yeah, that would be really tough. And, and I don't necessarily think that's what's going to happen. Um, I want to take another look around the Big Ten uh, today, uh, and that's the games more specifically, like this game. Uh, but if anybody, again, would like to jump in, vent, have some questions, happy to answer them. Uh, if you just want to complain, please do so into the internet. Hit the request to speak button. Happy to do it. Uh, otherwise, we'll take a look around uh, the rest of the Big Ten today as well as uh, what maybe went okay from today's Wisconsin, Wisconsin football game. Uh, although, <laughs> those, uh, those things are really hard to find. Um, like I said, though, at the, at, I don't know, whatever minute mark of this uh, recording so far, Northwestern's offense was shredding Wisconsin in the first half of this game. The aftermath of that was 31 yards allowed, only 31 yards allowed in the 
second half of the game, which is an incredible improvement for the second half. I don't know what you point to as a positive on the offense. Um, that's really hard. I don't, I don't know. Um, Tanner Mordecai threw the ball okay, I guess. 31 of 45. You know, he was okay from an accuracy standpoint, but only threw for 5.7 yards per attempt. That's really low. The team rushed for 3.6 yards per attempt. That's really bad. Will Pauling looked solid. I guess that's... And I guess Will Pauling is the one thing you can look to on the offense as a positive here. He had 10 receptions for 96 yards, you know, 9.6 yards average. He had the 33-yard reception, but that's the one kind of bright spot in the passing game when Tanner Mordecai averages 5.7 yards per attempt. You can't chuck the ball down the field against a Northwestern roster that not just by its coaching staff. This is the other the only the thing that I saw from people talking about Northwestern and why this loss is embarrassing is because they lost their head coach in July in and had to, you know, bring in a head coach in five weeks. But that's not the biggest loss. They lost personnel. They lost recruits. They lost all momentum. That team lost significant contributors. Yeah, Mitch adding, you know, adding a big drop by pulling to uh, those 96 yards of his. I mean, that's that's the bright spot. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> not, not the drop, obviously. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I suppose Will, Will Pauling is the bright spot on the day. Probably on both sides of the ball. No, I, I don't want to give it that because it, limiting a Big Ten opponent, no matter how abysmal they are. Uh, to 31 yards and a half is is mighty impressive. Um, no matter how abysmal they are, no matter who's quarterbacking, like no matter the personnel, I get it. North, Northwestern is different. The, the level of talent you're able to bring in to that program is significantly lower um, than the amount of talent you're able to bring into a program like Wisconsin. Um, but they're still able to bring in good football players. They still bring in, you know, the occasional guy that they put into the National Football League. Um, holding any offense to 31 yards and a half is is very impressive. Uh, so that that's the bright spot for the day on, on you know, I, either side of the ball put together. But otherwise, I think it's Will Pauling, who just seems to be everywhere on the field. Skylar Bell also had seven receptions, but only for a total of 35 yards. That's really rough. I don't. I don't understand the the passing game's obsession with throwing the ball to receivers behind the sticks. This seems to be a problem that we as fans diagnosed from the beginning of the season, and. 
I have a hard time believing that this is not a problem Phil Longo, the offensive coordinator, is aware of. I mean, like, these guys are football guys, right? And it's not to say that we need to ultimately be always deferential to the coaching staff. We need to always be deferential to the front office guys. We need to always be deferential to the personnel guys. Yeah. It's, it's very obvious if you, you know, watch sports long enough, coaching staffs, personnel decision makers, they're not always smarter than the fans. Not always. Um, but Phil Longo is not telling receivers on third and eight to run six, seven yard routes. That's not true. No way. Um, so I think an important thing to diagnose here is one of the things we as fans were very excited about was the level of incoming talent into the receiver room. And I think that is something that we ultimately misdiagnosed because a lot of the talent coming into the receiver room, you know, we were talking about freshmen, maybe red shirt freshmen, but those red shirt freshmen were coming in from other programs. Those red shirt freshmen C.J. Williams, um, among others, were allowed to leave their programs. Good college football programs keep the guys that they want to keep. Um, I know Will Pauling is a little bit different because he came from Cincinnati under Luke Fickle. Um, but C.J. Williams, you know, for as heralded as a recruit as he is, it's not to say he's looked bad, but I think he's been a little bit underwhelming. He doesn't leave USC if USC doesn't want him to leave. Bryson Green, and, and I know that um, Oklahoma State is better known uh, for, you know, <laughs> putting out all-time great running back talent than wide receiver talent. But I have a hard time believing that he gets out of a Mike Gundy-led program unless they're okay with him going. There was some weird exodus from the from that program at the end of last season, but that program is humming along just fine now. <laughs> I think they're taking a, a brutal loss to a <laughs> UCF today, as I'm saying that. Uh, yeah, losing, losing 45-3, to but they're, they have the inside track still to reach the Big 12 title game. That, you know, regardless, seven and three team. Um, yeah, I. It's easy to get transfer portal drunk, and that very well might be what happened with this fan base, with prognosticators, with you know people with a platform such as myself, um, who talked about expectations for this team, um, particularly. You know, I, I think people with a platform ability to talk about this team, you know, maybe maybe did think a little bit too much of the, the transfer portal additions. And that's not necessarily something I'm saying against those people with the platform, those people in the media. Because none of those people, you know, on the beat had experienced beforehand this large influx of transfer portal talent into the program. They hadn't. Um, it's easy 
to get caught up in the flash of recruiting stars. It's easy to get caught up in all these new guys that should be ready to play right away. It's easy to do that and harder to remember the caveat that I tried to give just a second ago of, well, maybe, maybe they were allowed to leave if they were, you know, not really that well desired in the program that they were leaving from. So that's college football today. You can keep the guys that you want to keep. You really do. Um, now, if, if we're taking a pat on the back, I did think I did have slightly lower expectations for, for this team than most. Um, certainly not this low. Um, and I want to get into that in just a second as well. Um, and what I thought those expectations should be and what success in this season should look like um, and why I don't think they're meeting it. Um, but if anybody wants to you know, chime in again, feel free, hit the request to speak button, willing to listen to you complain, take some questions. Um, I thought I, I wrote over at uh, Badger Notes, um, give Badger Notes our, our, our site to follow on Twitter. Um, go to badgernotes.com. Always putting out great Wisconsin football, Wisconsin basketball content. <laughs> Maybe you're interested more in the basketball content now. Um, but there'll be plenty over there. I'll, I'll have a piece on the site off in an hour or so over there um, after tonight's game. But before the season, I, I wrote a piece asking, what does success for Wisconsin look like in 2023? My answer to that question you know, tried to put into perspective the fact that this football program was coming off its most disappointing season in over a decade. Um, and I, I think the only other competitor for that is the crash and burn season after the Alex Hornibrook MVP in the Orange Bowl, where that team finished uh, way worse than that after that ended up going to the Pinstripe Bowl. But I think last season was you know, disappointing because it felt like There, there, there wasn't something particularly positive to look forward to. Um, the end of the season, you had that sucker punch of a loss to Minnesota. You think you're going to be able to go out and give Jim Leonard a win the end of the regular season. I think we were all ready to move on to 2023 after that really disappointing season. With that particularly disappointing season, the most disappointing season, in over a decade, as I dubbed it. I did not buy into the whole, I think the most common prediction was that this team was going to go 10 and two. Uh, I I had predicted the team was going to go nine and three. Um, That's not going to happen. But I I said, you know, outside of that prediction, it was more important to figure out what success was. Because it's not that, those nine wins or those 10 wins or that an appearance in the big 10 championship game or that winning all of your games for rivalry trophies against Iowa, Nebraska, um, Minnesota. It's not that any one of those were a demarcator of what success was. I didn't believe that. I was trying to be 
more forward-looking in an assessment of what success was going to be in 2023. Because if you remember, after Paul Chris got fired, and after it was announced that Jim Leonard was not going to be retained as the interim head coach, and that Chris McIntosh was going to hire Luke Fickle. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there, there's a couple of months in there, but during that time, during that timeline, Wisconsin had its 2023 recruiting class completely fall apart before Luke Fickle ended up you know, landing in Madison. I, maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, but I want to say that the, the Pete Thamel report came out that Wisconsin was going to hire Luke Fickle. And then before Luke Fickle actually landed on the ground in Madison, there was at least one decommitment from Wisconsin's uh, 2023 recruiting class before Fickle even actually arrived to Madison. Um, but that's, that's the name of the game, recruiting, right? You commit to a head coach. You don't necessarily commit to a program. That's normal. Um, those relationships are very important. But the way that this program has assembled its talent, has assembled its talent in the recruiting classes going forward, is by flashing the promise of future success of their vision for what this program is going to be. They can't right now, Luke Fickle, Trestle, Phil Longo, can't right now sell what the program is. Alabama can go on the recruiting trail and sell what the program is, what the program has done. That's not Luke Fickle's job right now on the recruiting trail. Luke Fickle's job right now on the recruiting trail is assembling talent by selling the vision for what the program is going to be in the future. And they assembled an impressive 2024 recruiting class so far. Three running backs when you need to bring in running back talent in this class because Braylon Allen is going to be gone. It is unclear whether Ches Malusi is going to come back or not because he is able to use a red shirt after um, this injury season because he did not play in four games um, or five games. You know, they have a flashy wide receiver in Kyan Barry Johnson, maybe Mattower, who was in attendance at today's game. Oh, my goodness. Um, you're assembling a deep class, a flashy class, one that, you know, is built around the promise of a high-octane offense. But losing, particularly in unexpected fashion, does not attract that young talent. It doesn't. Um, so what I had said success was going to be for Wisconsin this season, well, how, how we can define success is kind of tied to the idea of why it was so important that Luke Fickle turn this team around and make a bowl this season is because big change is often met with resistance. It's He has to sell his vision for what this program is going to be. Not just to the stakeholders of the program, but also to the incoming talent. Whatever the number of wins at the end of the season, Luke Fickle needs enough wins to sell his vision for the future of this Wisconsin basketball program. And 
he had said, Luke Fickle had said throughout the offseason, you know, what, what, what does a good season look like for the team? Is it, you know, eight wins, nine wins, 10 wins, Big Ten title, whatever. He'd always said, our goal is to win championships, whatever that might be, national conference, whatever. He had said that, you know, he, he is coaching the Big Ten. He knows that if you are able to win the Big Ten, uh, you can do really special things. He also said the key to doing that is to make sure that you're playing your best football at the end of the year. Oh, man. This Wisconsin team is not doing that right now. This Wisconsin team is not playing its best football at the end of the year. I don't know what its best football is. But it can't be this. It can't. And if it is, that's worse. I, I had acknowledged in this piece that I wrote back in, in July, the end of July, the last day of July, that things might start slowly. I didn't mean every single game. I didn't mean that you were going to get run over in the first half against Northwestern and then be able to ramp it up and, you know, allow only 31 yards in the second half. I didn't mean things were going to start, things might start slowly every single week. I meant things might start slower than we expected as this team figured out what it was. This team still hasn't figured out what it was. And I had couched it saying, maybe things started slowly. We didn't see the number of wins people were hoping for. That, you know, 10 wins folks were hoping for. That nine wins I had predicted. Maybe things started slowly. But Luke Frickle needed clear improvement this season from beginning to end to call this season a success. Because change is met with resistance. Probably from the stakeholders in the program. And this team needs to be able to sell its vision going forward to recruits. Otherwise, this tailspin is going to continue. If the whole point is he needs patience, you need to give him time so that Luke Fickle can bring in his desired talent. Phil Longo can bring in his desired wide receiver talent. They can bring in the offensive linemen they need to be successful. Their type of quarterback to be developed, you need the defensive back talent in order to run Trestle's 3-3-5 defense, their dollar defense, whatever. It's a lot harder to sell that vision for what those schemes can be, for what this program can be, if you are floundering while trying to build it. If you can't demonstrate through your own actions, through the product on the field, that you are actually building toward something, that you are taking incremental steps, you're not going to be able to bring in the talent to continue taking those steps. That's why success in the form of progress was so important this year. Not in the form of wins, not in the form of 
even winning the X, which at this point is the only thing I, I as a fan care about um, for this year. More important than all of that was Luke Fickle needed to sell his vision for Wisconsin football to bring in the kind of talent that was going to make it more successful in the years moving forward so that you could continue making programs, so you could show proof of concept for what the program is going to be. Because right now, the only thing they're faced with is that resistance to change. A fan base that was divided because it spurned its favorite son in Jim Leonard, who is the ultimate Wisconsin story, came in as a walk-on, looked fantastic, had a great career in the NFL, and then was denied his dream job. Uh, we're going to read Mitch. Let me hit this button here. How's it going, Mitch? I assume bad, but... Uh, you know, what, what, what do you got? How are you, how are you feeling? You got to unmute yourself. There we go. There we go. All right. No, what I'm feeling is uh, it just, it, it's so frustrating. I didn't go to the game today. I, I listened to it while I was deer hunting. Yeah. Just the energy in the stadium. I, I mean, the Rutgers game, they won. It, it felt like watching paint dry. And, <laughs> And the Iowa game was worse. It just there's there's just no energy. And then we played Ohio State, and there was energy in the stadium. And I've come to the realization I think Ohio State's not good because the way they played with us. And you know maybe some of that's fickle being an Ohio State guy or whatever. But man, there's just th- these one minute offensive drives just are not acceptable. No, and it sucks the life out of a stadium, right? Um, I, I think part of the reason we were so excited about this season was that fans were sold on this more electric vision for what Wisconsin football can be. We, we can take, you know, the biggest football nerd in the world can love watching, you know, Kansas today, for example, went on an 18-play, 93-yard drive. You know, f- football nerds, football guys, <laughs> they love to see that stuff. You know, you're casual fans. That doesn't light up an 80,000 seat, seat stadium. And it especially doesn't when you, you know, go three, four and out the passing game. Isn't exciting. This passing game's not working. Um, right. It, and then it, it just, it, you know, the clock doesn't move and the other team just gets the ball back and your defense goes right back on the field. You can't make adjustments because you've only been off the field for 30 seconds. You got your water and you get together for your meeting and you got to go back on the field. And it seems like it's almost like the second or the first half, the way the offense plays makes the defense play worse because they don't get any adjustments. They get their halftime and they almost coach them up and look what they do 31 yards in the second half. But it, that real time adjustment when the offense isn't doing anything, just really puts the defense in a bad spot. Yeah. I, what do you think that, where, where do you think that comes from? Uh, so I, I am probably with you that I think more of this team's issues are on the offensive side of the ball than the defensive side. Um, because I think the defensive side has 
more consistently shown an ability to do what we were sold on, what we were like, what we were told it was going to do. I, I think we've seen more of that from the defense than the offense. Um, where do you think that that solution is? Is it a, a quarterback problem solution, a receiver problem solution, scheme problem and solution? So in the in the the last couple of weeks, like the Iowa game especially, I, I really thought that you know when Mordecai played in the first half, all the receivers were making sliding catches where there's never any run after the catch. It was all you know like a. Uh, an amazing catch because, you know, the ball was a little bit out of the radius mm-hmm. and then came in and I was like, man, he's hitting these guys. They're upright. They're getting three, four yards after they catch it. And it, I, I thought that was going to be a more of a positive. And then he just got, you know, as the, I don't know if they schemed on him or whatever, but he just seemed to get less accurate as the, as he played, especially last week against Indiana, you know, and you just, I hate in college the sliding catch that is three yards short of the sticks. It's just terrible. Yeah, I have I have been concerned since the beginning of the season. It looks like Tanner Mordecai has a tendency to underthrow receivers. Uh, I think I think yeah. the short of a, the sticks issue is I think a combination of receiver route running and Mordecai being an inaccurate passer. Uh, I think that's a, a knock that. Mordecai carries with him from uh, his t- his time at SMU, um, but it's hard to be accurate when you don't have an offensive line blocking for you. Jack Nelson, who was supposed right. to be the best NFL caliber lineman, the most highly recruited lineman on this line, is an absolute liability. Um, I <laughs> I hear you. I agree with you. For, for me, I think it's just hard to evaluate. Is that the actual issue or is that, you know, coming from other, other places? Because like you said, um, uh, Braden Luck, you know, over time looked like he was getting less accurate too. So that tells me that's not just a quarterback problem. It tells me there's something else as well. And, and then the, the, the struggle I have, and, you know, I almost feel like the Packers have a little bit of the same frustration. We either throw a two yard swing pass wheel route behind this, behind the line of scrimmage and expect the guy to make two guys miss to gain five yards. Or we throw a 40 yard pass down the field. That is a one fifty fifty ball. And we're not winning the 50, 50 balls. We've won like three of them all season. And there's no, there's no intermediate route. Like, I mean, Wisconsin used to run the tight end for 15 yards behind the linebackers. It's just not, we don't run that route. And it's like the route tree just doesn't, it's like, I, you know, sometimes I get frustrated with the, with the new, my son plays eighth grade football. We run the same damn offense. <laughs> the, there's, there's, there's three receivers in the route. And, you know, do we understand the first read, you know, he's not open because they cover it. Maybe the other team knows who the first read is and they, they pressure it a little bit better and we're not getting to the third guy because there's there should be guys open, but we're not finding them. Yeah, I, I think that there is an issue with the, the offensive route tree that I think you are identifying in that there is lack of 
um, real involvement from the tight ends. But I don't think that's necessarily the coach's fault or even these tight ends' fault or the quarterback's fault. This team lost its two best tight ends before the season started. Um, yeah, and, and I know Clay Cundiff was not like he was <laughs> contributing while he was falling apart the last two seasons through no fault of his own. Um, and the loss of Jack Eschenbach is, is its own thing where he, you know, decides to retire. He's got, you know, eventually you got to move on. You can't just be in college forever. Um, but that's not a plan that this, uh, this, this team had coming into the season. They, they were there for all of, all of spring ball. Um, I, I just don't know what else you are supposed to do. If both of those are, uh, if you lose those options and then, you're down really your only supposed receiving threat at that position. Um, thanks for jumping on, Mitch. Do you got anything, any, any last thoughts there before we move on? Maybe let some other people chime in. Yeah. The, the only other thing I have, and, and this is the thing that I, it, it, it frustrates me and we're not talking hockey tonight, but the hockey team <laughs> changed the coach, brought in three new players and they completely changed their game. You know, so so you, you, we didn't have expectation for hockey, and they're pretty good. We had huge expectation for football, and we don't see any improvement. So that's all I got. Thanks for letting me jump yeah, on. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Um, <laughs> the hockey piece is funny to me, and uh, if, if anybody else wants to wants to chime in, uh, I know Ryan Herring's here, by the way, hosts a great show that I jumped on earlier tonight, um, Locked on Bat- Locked on Badgers. You should, of course, listen to that. Uh, great everyday Badger content uh, that Ryan does. Um, the hockey comment, I think, and I know that there there is a much smaller subsect of, of Badger fans who are a fan of that program compared to the football program. Um, it is kind of this other gut punch that makes all of this feel so much worse on the football side to think about, oh, well, we can think, oh, was this always going to happen? Is this always what it can be? And yeah, football and hockey aren't the same. The situations clearly aren't the same. you got a roster in, in hockey. you got 30 guys in that room compared to 85, right? Way different. 85 just scholarship guys on the football team. You've really got a roster of 100 guys. Um, it is just this weird gut punch of it's working over there. Why can't it work over here? And even though we all know it's not the same thing. Uh, <laughs> we just wanted to. We just wanted to. Oh, goodness. Um, I, I want to jump around for, for a second to the other results around the Big Ten to kind of put into perspective what today looked like. Um, because as Mitch kind of mentioned, you know, maybe maybe Ohio State's not that good. Ohio State's up two touchdowns early in the first quarter on Michigan State today. Uh, I mean, Michigan State's a dead team walking. They lost their head coach. Um, Iowa puts up 22 points, gets shut out on Rutgers. I, I think the Iowa loss is starting to look less embarrassing. Um, that team is just suffocating. And Rutgers is not an awful team. Um I can't believe Nebraska lost to Maryland. Um, Purdue put up 49 points. Purdue put up 49 points. 
And that's not the high-flying Purdue offense of past years. They have a defensive head coach now. Brian Brom is gone. He's in Louisville coaching a a team that looked middling to bad under Scott Satterfield for a number of years and now is all of a sudden a top 10 caliber team, top 15 caliber team. And Purdue's putting up 49 points against Minnesota. I guess that gives me some level of hope that this Wisconsin offense can put up enough points against Minnesota to win. But Minnesota Minnesota scored 30 points. Uh, There's a back and forth there that makes me think, uh, I don't know if Purdue can put up 49 points. Wisconsin can do enough to win. But Minnesota put up 30 points today. And Wisconsin put up, what, 34 against Purdue? Sounds about right. But if these are the... If these are the small distinctions, if these are the needles we are trying to thread here of trying to convince ourselves as fans that we can beat these abysmal Big Ten West teams in the worst year of the Big Ten West. We're sitting here trying to convince ourselves that it's possible to get these wins. What does that say about the state of this team? It, it is just it is just brutal. Um, I, I, I am not sure how many more horrible things uh, we, we can say. In, in this, I know we've been going at it for quite a long time now. Um, I'm trying to see if there were anything, any other interesting things beyond Luke Fickle's comments about trying to see who actually wants to be there. Uh, like he said in the post-game press conference and him saying that it was embarrassing. Oh, we got reporters in the locker room now saying a little bit. Hunter, Will, uh, Hunter Waller seems pretty pissed off said, uh, according to Evan Flood of 247 Sports, that this is not what I came to Wisconsin for. Says performance is not on Fickle or the coaches. Player need to get their acts together. Um, I guess that goes along the same route as Luke Fickle saying that he wants to find out who actually wants to be there. It's, it's clear that this is, at, at some level, an effort question. Um, and I guess it's not just coach speak, because Luke Fickle said it and Hunter Wooler said it. Uh, albeit Hunter Wooler is, of course, one of the more out- outspoken players on the team. But... Yeah, that's rough. Uh, again, if anybody wants to chime in, happy to hear all complaints, questions, concerns. Your your Connor Stallions-esque manifesto for how we turn around the Wisconsin football program. Uh, hit that request to speak button. We'll, we'll let you chime in uh, here before we, before we close up in the next 10 minutes or so. Um, I, I think we're going to see a lot of these players at the portal. Looking quite a bit forward ahead and it's not quite a bit forward at this point what it's two weeks 
um, maybe earlier. I don't think it's out of the question that we see some mysterious players land on an injury report all of a sudden. Mysterious players who do not travel to Minnesota are not part of the travel party who we otherwise who have otherwise been part of the travel party for the rest of the season. And I think that will be really telling about who is on their way out of the program. Uh, I think you, you wait, whatever it is from now, not, you don't have to wait the full two weeks. We'll find out in about 12 days, I think before the last regular season game, uh, who is, who is on their way out because we'll know from the, from the away game travel party, what players are not going to be returning to Madison next season because Based on a couple of comments now from Luke Fickle, Hunter Roller, I don't know that everybody wants to be there. And I don't know if that's just because people expected more success or it, it, it is the players who Luke Fickle sold on sticking around at Wisconsin, you know, the holdovers, who said, give me a year, try it out. If you don't like it, you can transfer. I don't know if it's going to be some of them. I have no idea. But, but it is obvious from these comments that somebody, somebody is going to be on their way out. Uh, much like Evan Flood said, Jeff Patrikas of the Journal Sentinel uh, <laughs> shared that Hunter Wohler is on fire. Said he is pissed like I have never seen him. Said the team came out flat, soft, and got butts kicked. Said he had to play better as well, but says this isn't the program he grew up watching. Tanner Mordecai says he will be looking to see which players have a give a shit factor over the next few days. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, that's just more and more confirmation as we see comments come in that there are guys who are quitting on this team. And That's not, look, I'm not that old. I'm 27. But that's not something I have ever in my life as a, you know, conscious football fan been able to say about a Badgers team that there are, there are guys quitting. We we talk about in college football, you talk about quit watch, which teams you want to bet on. You know, which teams you want to bet on their opponents to cover the spread because one team on the field is quitting and Vegas line can't account for that. Most of the time it is teams which had a lot higher expectations. You know, Texas A&M was on quit watch last year. They were, you know, dark horse, dark horse SEC championship team, you know, since 2020, since the COVID season. And then they're on quit watch because they barely make bowl games. If they make bowl games, now this team, which brought in a lot of new blood, had a lot of holdover blood that wasn't recruited by this coaching staff, there's there's a chance there, right? There, there's an obvious recipe there. If that doesn't all mesh the right way for players to quit, for players to say, this isn't what I wanted to do, I made a mistake. Ooh. Uh, going to bring in Mark here. Give him a chance to chat. Uh, 
Mark just made you a speaker. Make sure you're not muted. Uh, would love to hear what your thoughts are. And then after that, uh, we'll bring in Jason. Um, I have a question for you really quick. Um, I was very into Longo as a play caller, like when they first got hired, but ever since like now, like, like, like a week, uh, mid season or end of the season, I don't see any improvement from the offense. Like it's supposed to air raid. It hasn't been there. The wide receivers aren't getting like open like they should be. Um, as coaching or if that's the players not getting opened. So, I what I have seen is an issue of well, first of all, I I hate watching football on, on TV a little bit because you you don't get to see receivers whether they're really getting open downfield or not. Um, if you go if you go in person to games, which obviously not everybody is able to, it's expensive. Um, you get a little bit of a better look and. I, I think there are certainly throws to be made that are not being made. And, but that's not all the time. Um, I think there are throws to be made by the quarterback that aren't being made. I think that's one issue. Two, I don't think Tanner Mordecai is the most accurate passer. Uh, throughout the year, I think we've seen him underthrow some receivers, uh, particularly on like uh, out routes, uh, quick, quick outs to the sideline. Uh, which th- this offense loves to call. Uh, Tanner Mordecai doesn't quite always put the zip on those passes, so I think there's some quarterback issues there. I think in this game in particular, too, um, although Mordecai was fairly accurate today, um, he only threw for 5.7 yards per attempt. We don't know what his ability is to sling those balls downfield to those wide receivers if they are open, right? He broke his throwing hand four weeks ago. Um, I think the bigger issue with the wide receivers is not um, always getting to the sticks on third down, not always running your route past the first down marker, you know, running a six, seven yard yard route on a third and eight. And I don't think that's a coaching issue because, you know, these are, these are ball coaches. Phil Longo knows football. Phil Longo knows you need, knows you need to get a first down on third down. He's not, telling receivers to go get six, seven yards on third down. Uh, I think that's a receiver issue. Um, so I think there's a little bit of, of both there. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to follow up with, Mark? No, I just I thought we'd be well <laughs> by now. <laughs> yep. Um, I would have much rather been bowl eligible now. Um, than having to go in the last two weeks of the season. We're in the same spot a year ago in terms of bowl eligibility questions. And I did not expect that going into um, the 11th game of the season this year, this team would be in the same spot as it was going into the 11th game of the season last year uh, from a bowl eligibility standpoint, because that was not fun. Uh, last season. So thanks, Mark. I'm going to bring in Jason here. Um, and let me hit the approve button and make sure that this works. All right, great. Jason, you should be a speaker. Unmute yourself. 
fire away. Looks like we got a. Hello, how you doing? Um, yeah, this is. I know I vented uh, elsewhere also already, but uh, this is a situation where I think this is a carryover from the last staff and what's going on. Yes, I do know Fickle brought in quite a bit of uh, talent from transfer portal and such and such, but there's a scenario where we all bought into the Fickle hype right off the bat, which I know I drink that Kool-Aid like everybody else, and yes, I am quite frustrated at this time of year figuring we would be better than what we were but we also being fans of Wisconsin thinking we had more talent than we actually had I believe our talent roster was not to the par that what we thought it should be Um, if if we did not fire Chris and the whole staff was gone, I think we'd be three times worse than what we are right now. Um, I am a complete fan of Paul Chris as a person and everything he did for Wisconsin. But you look at what the last few years were, we were like steadily nosediving. And Fickle comes in, brings in some new talent, but the majority of the the, the roster is Chris roster. Um, I understand good coaches can coach anybody, but we're in a situation where we do not have the athletes we need. Offensively, it's really simple. Too many mistakes that are happening penalty-wise, drop balls, and all that kind of thing. And, yes, we have had injuries with key players that make things a lot better. But we should still be able to move the ball more efficiency and, and score more points than what we have. It just, unfortunately, is a very frustrating situation right now. I am very positive things are going to turn around. It's just, unfortunately, going to take longer than what I anticipated. Yeah, I I think that's – I think your closing statement there is about right. Um, I don't necessarily have – a lack of confidence in Luke Fickle to turn this team around, but it's going to take longer than we anticipated. I think the problem is whether or not he gets the sufficient amount of time to turn it around. Because if they miss a bowl game, that... Amount, the amount of time he's going to get to turn it around, I think, is going to decrease, uh, which should be the opposite of what happens. If they're so bad that they can't make a bowl game, he should get more time to figure it out. Um, but I don't think that's I, that's not how that's not how people with college football brain work. Um, so that's not what's going to happen. Um, but 
there, there is obviously a personnel issue. Um, and while there is, there is something to be said for, you know, good coaches can coach anyone. I think that's more true at a professional level than in college football. Um, because when you're a professional, it's your job and you know that you have to show up and, and you do it. Um, guys who play in the NFL are big time. They know what they're doing. Um, you have to be able to motivate players who got a lot of other stuff going on. They're figuring out who they are at, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. They have to ostensibly take classes. Um, and some of these guys signed up for a different experience in Wisconsin football. And so if they signed up to play for Paul Christ, you know, maybe it's because these players aren't good enough to play under this organization or maybe they don't like what's going on with Luke Fickle. I don't know. Um, it's hard to get into a head of a college football athlete because I've never been one, uh, would never claim to be. <laughs> right. It, it, it's a situation where I'm looking at Fickle's going to get more time than what most people will give them because of the fact this is the first time in Wisconsin history that the AD and Chris McIntosh went out and said, screw it. We're going after somebody that's going to put us on the map. Yeah. Granted, Alvarez was one of those kind of guys at the time that got was hired to put on the map there. Well, Barry was here for X amount of years. Barry hired the next coach. Not saying that he did anything completely wrong, but he just basically rode what Barry started and kind of continued. Then when he left, another coach was brought in to try to elevate the program and take it to a next step. Nosedived because he couldn't do what he was going to need to do. Then they hired Paul Chris and Paul Chris. Granted, I don't want to talk ill of him. Great man, did did a lot of great things in his tenure at Wisconsin, but didn't grasp the new college football identity, what we have right now, where he needs to be heavy into recruiting and having a staff recruiting and recruiting to the level to where you're going out and finding people and putting people in there to search like fickle has been given that opportunity and they put a staff together. for them. Yep. Um, I think my one concern now um, is do the early losses, does the early trajectory of this program under Luke fickle make it harder for them to recruit the level of talent we would expect them uh, to bring in because I, you know, it's, it's college football. It's college athletics. Success breeds success. Uh, and they don't have a lot to show as proof of concepts, as building blocks for what they're doing here, for what they can sell to athletes at Wisconsin. Right. Because it's not like, not necessarily like Luke Fickle can point back to Cincinnati either and say, we're building this program in the image of how we 
built it at Cincinnati because they're running a, different, a whole different offense here. They're bringing in different kinds of quarterbacks. Um, so I, I am worried that Fickle's going to have a rough time. Uh, uh, Jason, you want to share one last thing? Otherwise, I'm, I'm going to let you let you jump off here. Right. Uh, the last thing I got to say with what you were saying is, one, with him hiring Longo and his track record and what he did at Carolina to build the offense when he got hired there with the head coach that's there and built that, I think that hit the Longo and Fickle are going to have a better opportunity to recruit than what people realize. I, I mean, maybe I'm too uh, uh, positive, maybe, but it's, it's the same time I, I look at it with what they're looking at and what they're trying to sell and what they want to do. I think they're still going to be able to recruit. Yeah. Um, and then after, once they start getting them players in that this year, this is going to be the year that you're going to see, are they going to get what's committed? Are they going to all stay committed? If they all stay committed, the, the, the amount of four stars that are coming in, that's going to show you if he's going to continue to that. Yeah. Um, thanks, Jason. I think that I think you're right. I think I think there is, although you know, Luke Fickle can't necessarily sell the vision of what he was at Cincinnati of building the program in Wisconsin in the same mold as that. They can sell the mold of this is what we were on defense at Cincinnati. This is what Phil Longo has been everywhere he has ever gone, including all the way back to FCS Sam Houston. And you can sell both sides of those of the ball. But I think it is a lot. It is a lot harder to sell to recruits uh, that you can do it somewhere else. It's a lot harder to sell what you can be rather than what you are. And right now, uh, what they are in Madison is not a whole lot. Um, I'm going to have to wrap it up there. Um, but. Thank you, all of you, for chiming in. Your comments, appreciate it. Uh, we're going to try to be back here next week doing the same thing next Saturday after hopefully a win. Um, get to bowl eligibility. Otherwise, this will be a lot more sad. Um, but thanks so much for chiming in. Appreciate it. Uh, if you want to see more of our work, you know, follow me on Twitter. Um, follow Badger Notes. Uh, go to badgernotes.com. Uh, thanks, y'all. And hopefully we'll talk again after a win and bowl eligibility very soon on Wisconsin.